go to Two TV Sports. Um, we've got a special announcement here. Our Two TV Sports Fantasy Football League um, couldn't be more pumped to invite two of our listeners to join Two TV Sports Fantasy Football League. Be the first two people to DM us on Twitter or Instagram, and you're in. Um, compete against me, Jerry, the rest of the Two TV Sports crew, as well as some of our friends. Um, for a chance to be the fantasy football king of the two TV sports um, crew. So looking forward to that. Don't forget to DM us on that. But uh, Big Jackson here today again, talk about some of this NBA stuff. Jackson, how are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Tosh? Doing good. Doing good, Jerry. Oh, I'm doing great. Let's get right into it. Two huge games, sevens in the first round. Yeah, so... Uh, those are both really fun to watch. Let's start out with the uh, OKC Houston one. Uh, Chris Paul saying that he's built for this after game six, and uh, it looks like he wasn't built for this, actually. Uh, <laughs> Rockets, Rockets won, won that game, and uh, and yeah, other than Lou Dort, the, the uh, OKC didn't really do too well. Um, that Down the stretch, though, of that game was crazy, Jerry. I mean, yeah, I just wanted to say that it doesn't really, it didn't really look like either team was trying to win a game seven. Like, it both looked like they were trying to find ways to lose. It was really, really sloppy in the last two minutes there. Um, just bricks everywhere. Like, they were trying to, yeah, like you said, CP3 uh, was dishing out to Lou Dort, who we know is not a shooter. And so, like, to have him take the shot, essentially, to put you over the top against the Rockets in game seven, like, I'm not really sure what you're doing there, really. And then, like, on the other point, like, James Harden going to James Harden, like, he's going to get a ton of credit for that defensive block that he had on Ludort. But, I mean, his shooting was terrible once again in the Game 7. Like, he was trying to find a way to lose that. Um, and then also, like, the Rockets were giving the ball to Russell Westbrook in the last two minutes and letting him run the offense when the ball needs to be in James Harden's hands. So, like, I have a lot of issues with the way, uh, like, both teams were handling the end of that game. Um, but I guess like in the end, Houston, Houston pulls it off. Yeah. The flopping and all that stuff at like the minute mark where they brought the ball across half court immediately. Chris Paul flops as Steven Adams is trying to steal the ball from, uh, I forgot who was bringing the ball up for the Rockets. And then they rush down, take that horrible layup, miss it. And it just keeps going back and forth. And Jerry, I think you're right. Nobody really, and Tosh too, I think they've, all proved that nobody was really built for the moment out there uh, in that matchup. I don't know why Steven Adams was on the floor at all for those final two plays either. Like, well, but who who are you going to put on the floor instead of him, though, if you're the Thunder? With the Thunder, they got to put on Gallo, Ludor, SGA, Schroeder, and uh, CP3. I, I mean, that's I think that's the so best let's five say you, shot makers. But let, Let's say you do that, though. Like, I still, like, no, regardless, like, they're not, the play wasn't to go to Steven Adams to take the last shot. I think everybody else was covered and they had to inbound it uh, without taking that penalty or that foul there. But I think the Rockets knew that the play was never going to be for Steven Adams. So you're allowed to now defend four or technically three offensive players because you have the one guy inbounding with a second left. He's not really a threat either. And now you have Steven Adams on the floor who's not a threat to score either. And that leaves three guys that can make a shot with a second and a half left. I just think it really restricted your options. I don't like whatever that anarchy of a play call was from uh, Billy Donovan either, because I have no idea what their objective even was in those plays. Yeah, I think they were trying to get it to Steven Adams and then have some guys like cut around and have him pass it to one of them. 
Yeah, um, like they, you have a guy coming off a screen, and then Steven Adams catches the inbound, and then yeah. The, sorry, well, the fact that Chris Paul just ran into the corner and wasn't even really involved with the play, I thought was the biggest issue. Like, if he's really yeah. built for this, you got to find a way to get him the ball. Um, with a, but he with also a had that terrible offensive possession, like two two possessions beforehand, where he was dribbling, did a head fake, like lost control of the ball, and never got a shot up. The ball was stolen away, and the Rockets took it down the other end, and so like. I think the whole reason you don't go to CP3 there is because everybody's thinking that it will go to him. And, like, we clearly saw, like, he wasn't the guy anyway. So if the defense knows it's going to be going to him or probably going to him, then it's going to be even tougher for him in that moment. And so I kind of like that the Rocket or that the Thunder weren't going to go to CP3 there. Um, but I think you definitely need to use him more as a decoy or, like, inbounds to him to get to SGA for the last shot or somebody else. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff to second guess there. One thing I wanted to talk about too is James Harden and Westbrook both down the stretch. I mean, we've been seeing it since their days on OKC together um, when they played LeBron in the finals. I mean, those those two guys are kind of choke artists when it comes down to it in, in the last few minutes of the game. Even a lot of times in playoff series. Um, and so, like, if they plan on keeping this series close against the Lakers, those two guys are going to need to step up. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's just like like you were saying, like they don't really know who's trying to close out games there. Like I personally think it should be James Harden. Uh, Russell Westbrook looks like he's just trying to be ball dominant, drive and take a horrible mid range two or like a contested layup against two defenders. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they're like trying to, if Russ is trying to like take over like that, or they're trying to defer to each other. But it definitely looks like they they don't know who's closing. Um, and then I'm gonna let you like wrap up on that. But I do want to talk about like my the Denver uh, Nuggets. Uh, in a bit, just because I was asking who was going to close games for them, and they know who's closing games for them now. So, Russell Westbrook, this, I think this has been the story of his career, and I think it's why Kevin Durant initially moved to Golden State. Russ assumes, and he has such unbelievable confidence in himself, and I think that's part of what makes him great, is that he absolutely believes in himself, and that allows him to be all over the place at all times. But it also causes him to do things like, I don't think he's ever seen a shot that he didn't like or didn't think that he could make. And he was pulling up from three a couple times last night. And it's like, you just don't make those shots, man. If we cut those shots out and you were attacking the rim or doing something else, or we had Harden initiating, I think they would be much better off. But I think Russ is an alpha dog and he is just going to assume that if you aren't doing something, he needs to do something. And that causes him to take over and be reckless sometimes like he has been in the series a little bit. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's his biggest issue. Um, but, yeah, moving on to Denver, Utah, another crazy game seven. Um, Denver was up big, um, and then Utah kind of came back there, uh, but but couldn't couldn't uh, get the win. Uh, I think they're really missing Bog, Bogdanovich, who is another score when Mitchell gets deed up. I mean, when Mitchell has a good defender on him, he just becomes way less efficient. Um, and, and once they put Gary Harris on him, I didn't think he was great. Um, and so, yeah, Denver came back. Uh, Utah blew a 3-1 lead. Um, so I guess no, no more talking about the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead anymore. Um, but, yeah, Denver, Denver, I think if they're going to have a chance in the next round, uh, Gary Harris is going to have to play some good D like fifth end of this series. Your Warriors, 3-1 lead blown in the finals, 73-9 and nine, uh, Warriors there. So not even close. It is a 3-1 blown lead, but the Warriors won 
so much worse than the Jazz just now without Bogdanovich and uh, just basically Donovan Mitchell to carry them. Uh, Rudy didn't look as good as I necessarily thought he would in that series, but um, I saw a report that the Jazz were going to offer Donovan Mitchell the max. I wanted to start there because I think that he has a long way to go, um, but he definitely has earned the max, at least in Utah, because it's not a big free agent destination and you kind of have to keep your homegrown talent anyways. So I think it's the right move for both Donovan and Utah to both extend that and accept that contract. So all good there. Um, and then secondly, I want to say uh, like thank you to both Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell because that was just a great seven-game series, super fun first-round one. Um, once Denver finally like figured out who they were, kind of, they were able to win some games. So that was fun to watch them uh, figure that out with their backs up against the wall. Um, and then... Another thing is that people were saying, like, when Jamal Murray's hot like that, like, you can throw a double at him. But the issue with that is then you have Jokic one-on-one who not only is a great shooter, but also facilitates, like, no other center. And so you can't really double Jamal Murray in that situation um, because, like, they have shooters like Gary Harris or Michael Porter Jr. Um, that can that can still move the ball and get you a bucket. And so I think if you're the Utah Jazz, like, you were just outmanned at the end of the day. Um, and there wasn't really much you could do necessarily, even though like, uh, it came down to just like a really long three that could have, could have won it for Utah at the very end there. Jackson, what were your thoughts on, uh, Denver, Utah? So I picked the series on our last podcast. I think I had the nuggets in five and I just really didn't even know what the jazz could do in this series. And that obviously didn't account for Donovan Mitchell going for 50 twice. Um, that That's really going to help you out, and that's going to give you a chance in pretty much any game when somebody goes for 50. Um, so I was actually really impressed with the Jazz, um, and I was disappointed in the Nuggets. I thought that should have been a much easier series for them um, without Bogdanovich, and I think that Jokic is a clear upgrade over Gobert, um, and, and I prefer Donovan Mitchell to Jamal Murray overall. Um, Jerry, to your point, I would say... For Mitchell and for the Jazz, that Supermax deal is a no-brainer just because it's, yeah, Utah's not going to attract any free agents of that caliber anytime soon, and Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell guarantees he's going to get paid. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you got to keep your stars there if you're Utah, but let's get to another um, kind of off-season thing here. Nets hired Steve Nash, uh, signed to a four-year deal to coach KD and Kyrie Irving. Uh, Gary, thoughts on this coaching hire? Uh, kind of a giant surprise. Um, I kind of got up earlier today and saw that news breaking, and it was kind of out of nowhere. Like there were no reports of it, and then there were there were. It was said after that the Nets management tried to keep that quiet. Um, and so uh, there's two things that I think are happening here, and like the first is. Steve Nash to, I think Jackson might talk about this kind of left the line in terms of like coaches that uh, could have been good candidates for this Nets job. The second one, and what I think is more important um, kind of what I want to talk about is that I think the Nets are doing that thing where they're trying to find uh, the next Steve Kerr, like a guy who doesn't have uh, head coaching experience, but they really like as an organization. And so they like the Warriors took Steve Kerr from the announcing booth. And basically Steve Nash has been on, I think some TNT broadcast doing soccer work of all things. Um, and so I think they're trying to get that same kind of um, like upside from Steve Nash out of retirement as the Warriors did with Steve Kerr. 
Um, I, I don't know that this is necessarily going to work. Like Steve Nash is a two, a former two-time MVP and has to manage and deal with the personalities of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And so I don't know if they're looking for uh, somebody to like be their friend and kind of let Katie and Kyrie run the team, which I think would be absolutely disastrous or somebody who's going to be really harsh and disciplinarian, which I don't think Katie or Kyrie would respond to anyways and wouldn't work. So like, I don't hate the hire of Steve Nash. I just don't think it makes much sense for the nets um, given the roster that they have. I think this hire is definitely because Kyrie and KD had something to do with it. Um, I know Kevin Durant worked Steve Nash when he was working in the front office with the Warriors a couple years back. And I'm guessing this hire is more about somebody, like you said, Jerry, who can manage the personalities of the Nets and help everyone get along, understand their roles more than like an X's and O's type coach. Um, you mentioned Steve Kerr as well, um, but he was a he, he was a GM for the Suns for a while, so he at least had, which obviously it's not head coaching experience, but he at least had more he at least had NBA relevant experience uh, post playing career. But Steve Nash is also just a basketball genius, and I think that he had a really great feel for the game when he played. Um, don't necessarily think that's going to equate to coaching all the time, but. Yeah, I think this hire was more so just about trying to make people happy. And I think someone like Ty Lu, who isn't going to put up with um, a bunch of mess from his players all the time, uh, I don't necessarily know how well that would fit with the roster they have constructed. Whereas somebody trying to be their friend and coaching from that direction, when you already have that many talented players, I think that can be an effective strategy. Uh, guys, I'm kind of totally on the other side of this than you guys are. I think this is a great hire. Uh, Steve Nash has been working under Steve Kerr for the last few years at the Warriors, kind of in a consulting duty. Um, he's been, he, you know, he's been working with Durant. He's been working with Curry. He's gotten to see what winning championships is like. He's played for some great coaches. He played for Dan Tony. Um, I think he's going to have good X's and O's. I mean, he's learned from some great coaches. He's very, you know, a very chill, relaxed dude. And I think that's going to fit perfectly. He's going to bring some calmness to those guys, which they seem like they really need. Mm -hmm. Um, Before this, I didn't really think the Nets were too big of a factor in the East just because of all the personalities they have there. But I think this is a home run hire. Um, I think what like Stephen A and the, all the you know media dudes are saying about how the, how are they going to hire Steve Nash over Mark Jackson and like Mark Jackson and Steve Nash are in two totally different categories. Like Nash is going to be a great fit for this team. He's going to be great for Kyrie and KD. I mean, him and KD already have a good relationship. He wouldn't have been hired if um, if KD didn't like him on the Warriors. He's been learning under one of the best coaches under Steve Kerr. Like this is a home run hire. Uh, the Nets were smart to not let any other teams know about it and pursue him as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a great hire, and um, the Nets are going to be in contention next year and uh, fully in on, on Steve Nash. Uh, yeah, Tosh, you just mentioned that uh, Steve Nash is a pretty relaxed guy, but uh, I wanted to move to a pretty fiery guy in Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat who uh, have a nice little uh, 2-0 lead over your Milwaukee Bucks. The ending of this game two was atrocious. I want to eventually talk about, you know, the Bucks not looking so good, but I have to just get out 
my thoughts on this officiating. Um, the foul call against uh, Dragic at the very end on the three-point shot when the Bucks are down three. Well, first off, hold on. They were down six with, like, 20 seconds left to go, and then somehow, like, got a steal and clawed their way back. Brooke Lopez, hell of a play. To call a foul on, against Goran Dragic when his feet are set, like, it's so clearly set, and he had a little bit of momentum going forward, but it's not like he was straight up and down, was, didn't even foul uh, Middleton. Uh, for, that, for you to call that, that's so tough. And, like, we always get on the refs for swallowing the whistle in the last couple of minutes. Um, but this one, they just made the absolute wrong call. Um, on the other side, to Chris Middleton's credit, absolute ice in that man's veins. Hits three for three from the line, tying the game. Uh, next possession, Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler. Pulls up from an awkward mid- mid-range two. Uh, ball goes up. He falls down. Super late whistle. Uh, I mean, I got to go with that's a huge makeup call because, I mean, Giannis did have his left hand on Jimmy Butler, but that was so far after the shot, and it didn't affect the shot. It had nothing to do with the play. Um, I hate both calls, but this one was definitely a makeup call, and so I'm usually not in favor of makeup calls, but the fact that the Bucks were even tied should never have happened based on the Goran Dragic call. And so I kind of I like the referees did this makeup call, even though neither of them were actual fouls. Um, and the Heat definitely like should have won that game. And you know, I'm not a Heat fan by any means. I do want to talk about that a little bit later. But I, the Bucks, there was no way they should have won game two. Yeah, it was definitely a makeup call. Um, I thought the refs were pretty bad the whole game. Um, they they keep calling all these ticky tack fouls um, on Giannis and Middleton, which just put them in foul trouble, totally throw off the Bucks rotations. Um, and then they they're calling all these fouls on shooters most of which are very questionable. I'd rather just have them not be called on both sides. Um, and, then, and then at the end of all these games, I mean, with the officiating, it's just, you know, stop after stop, reviewing small stuff, um, reviewing calls that shouldn't have been made. Like, it's kind of hard to, hard to watch sometimes, but the, there's just no flow at the end of these games. Um, and I, I want the NBA to do something to uh, address that. Um, but yeah, the Bucks. The Bucks are in, in a tough spot, but uh, they've won four in a row before. Um, they can do it again. It's not like the Heat are totally much, but like either first two games really could have gone either way. Um, and so, as a Bucks fan, while I'm a little bit nervous as I was going into the series, the Heat are a good team. I still think they've got a, you know the Bucks have a shot here, um, and, and I wouldn't write them off. No, I so, yeah. Um, I- I like what you're saying there because the media is all over the Heat and, oh, what are the Bucks doing and all this? And I'm just not sold that the Heat are going to win this series like everyone else seems to be. I mean, the media and everybody is doing the same thing we did with the Blazers uh, and them trying to beat the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And everyone was on that Blazers bandwagon. And look at how that turned out. It was 5-1. to one. And so, you know. I was just going to say, with the Blazers, like, they didn't have any regular season success against the Lakers. Like, the Heat all season have consistently given the Bucks a lot of problems including Bam Adebayo guarding Giannis. I think he's shooting his lowest field goal percentage against anyone in the NBA against Bam. And I think the Heat won all of their matchups in the regular season, didn't they? Or did they split? Uh, no, I think the Heat did win those. I uh, haven't checked that. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, I, I'm going to presume, like, the Bucks win game three. Like, you, you said, uh, Tosh, that uh, both those games are winnable for the Bucks, and they were, and, like, Giannis has just been terrible from the free throw line. Um, and that's not something that's easy to fix in the postseason. Like, we don't see 
average free throw shooters just turn it on all of a sudden. Like even LeBron like can't do that. Um, that's just like let's go. You either have or don't. Like you can't just figure that out. Um, and so I'm not like. But that being said, I think you know Giannis is going to have one of those insane games where he drops 40 and just like shows us why he's the MVP and the deep boy. And like I like don't get me wrong, the Heat are going to make it tough. And now they're up 2-0. Like this is definitely going to go at least six. I think. I think it could go seven potentially. Um, I, you know, I think it's going to be tough for the Bucks to come back in a sweep and win four in a row. And so that would be the reason it would go seven. Um, I think we're really, really going to see what the Bucks are made of though. Down two Oh, in this whole, like, obviously I'm going to go ahead and say it like, it's a must win game. If you go down three Oh, like you're not coming back from that. It's absolutely a death sentence. Um, and so, you know, hopefully they make it a series, but if not, uh, when we get to my Celtics and, you know, if the Celtics end up playing, uh, the heat, that's going to stoke some fires of, uh, some early 2010s, 2013 in between there. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah. Those are, uh, those, that was a fun rivalry. I think the, uh, I think the heat, the heat are a good team. I mean, they've got, they're solid defensively. They're really well coached and, um, they, they have a lot of capable offensive players who, they might not all be going every night, but you know, one night hero gets going the other night, Robinson gets going another day. Butler gets going. So got a lot of options there. Yeah. And at the end of the game, like they don't have that one guy that closes out the game for them. And like, usually that would be a bad thing because you want your closer, but in the heat, I actually think it's pretty good because like they have all those guys like hero or Dragic or Butler or even bam down the stretch. Like you don't know who's going to be taking that last shot. And for that reason, you can't scheme against it that well. Um, yeah, they're just going to be a really, really tough out. Um, and so like, you can't, you can't have Jimmy Butler just like closing those games and that's not really his role anyways. Um, but like for him to facilitate and be that playmaker and like lead that team, I think it's just what they need. Like him and Bam have been absolute studs this entire like bubble and playoff run. Jimmy Butler played that role pretty well in game one, came down, hit two threes in clutch moments to put him and he's a 24% three or a three point shooter on the season. Um, I think he can definitely be the focal point of a closing offense. I don't necessarily think it's the best in the league or anything like that, but I think he's good enough to play that role at least, which if I think if, if it's just like five random dudes who can all kind of do it, I don't think it works that well, but they at least have one focal point in Jimmy Butler who can do it. I think at an elite level in the NBA, not top five or anything like that, but I think he's a top 15 finisher, at least something like that. Um, so before we move on, though, I just wanted to see both your thoughts on like what, how you see the series playing out. Like, and I guess how many games you see it going, and like who who moves on to the conference finals. I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll go six or seven. Um, and I I want I want I want the Bucks to win. So I guess I'll pick the Bucks. But it, I mean, it, really, anything can happen. It just depends on who gets hot. Um, I'll go Bucks in seven. I'm going to go Heat in seven. I, the 2-0 advantage gives them a huge leg up, and I think that they are constructed in a great way to really slow down Giannis. They have good perimeter defenders, good interior defenders. They're well-coached, and they play really well together as a team. And I think with that recipe on defense, they are really going to give Giannis problems. Although I do agree, Jerry, he's going to have a couple games and a couple moments where he's just absolutely unstoppable because he's that good. But, yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no way that he, they're just going to shut him down completely, like for the rest of the series. And 
everything my eyes have seen are saying like the heat, like they're clearly like have that defensive presence, um, like aren't scared of the moment are, have been the better team, like both like in the series and in the bubble. Um, but like, for some reason, I'm just still not ready to pick against the bucks. Um, and like, I don't even have like necessarily good reasons for it besides that they were like the best offensive team in the history of basketball, this regular season, um, which was completely ruined by, uh, like the COVID break, um, and the restart. And they just haven't been able to like capture that back. And so I'm going to agree with you. I see this series going seven. Like I have no good reason to take the bucks and think that they're going to pull it out. But like in the next two games, we could be looking at a two, two series and the heat advantage is gone. See this one going the distance, which I think is fun. Um, speaking of going the distance uh, in the, in the entire NBA playoffs, my Boston Celtics are an easy two Oh up on the Raptors. And uh I'll leave it there. Yeah, the Celtics are looking good. Um, surprising me about them is their defense has actually done a really good job, and Toronto just doesn't have the the uh, scoring options. Like, I don't know how many times I have to watch Pascal Siakam try to ISO Jason uh, Jalen Brown and just have it not work at all. Yeah, so that doesn't work um, mid range against Jalen Brown. Like, I, I think we can uh, say that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got to figure something else out on offense. I think it starts with Van Vliet and Lowry trying to get to the rim because um, the Celtics don't really have a rim protector. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't think Toronto has the the uh, scoring to, to beat the Celtics. I mean, and in the Celtics, Tatum's looked really good. Um, Brown has looked pretty good. So you're good. coming around on my Celtics versus this Raptors debate finally. I'm finally taking the edge on this one, which I've been saying that the Celtics were better than the Raptors uh, the entire time. Also, just want to say that we're recording this before Game 3. Uh, could be a little bit different of a series. Uh, this is a huge test for the Raptors. At the time we're recording this, it's just before the Celtics game. So if they go down 3-0, it's over. we got to finish this one tonight. Yeah, and let's see what Nick Nurse is made of. Like he he's wears his own logo. He has the box and one shirts. He wins Coach of the Year. Like the first of all, the only reason he's so popular and famous is because Katie and Clay Thompson got hurt in the finals. Um, but anyways, let's see what he's made of. And I mean, and he had the best player in the make... league without KD. He had Kawhi, who I think is you know the exactly. best player. Like he's got to make some adjustments. Let's see what Nick Nurse is made of. Um, and see if he like ter- Toronto's talented. I mean, I mean, they're just as talented as the Celtics, in my opinion. They've got more depth. Like, they've got to do something on offense to generate some good shots. So, uh, Jackson, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I don't think the Raptors have a primary scoring option as good as Jimmy Butler, for example. And that bringing back to that last conversation we had about the Heat, um, they really struggle in set offense. And especially in the half court, they feast in transition. But the Celtics are incredible getting back on defense. And they don't really give them those easy opportunities. And their offense just isn't good in the half court. Um, I mean, yeah, come playoff time, like you're saying, uh, transition offense does not matter. It's all about half court offense and defense for that matter. And the Celtics are top five in both. And so like, we clearly have the edge there. The Raptors, I think it was, was were like 24th or 25th in the league at half court offense. And like, they're one of the best transition teams, but if you take that away, which the Celtics have done an awesome job of doing, I mean, they can't generate offense. They literally just throw it down low to Siakam or Marcus Gasol and let them try and go one-on-one against Tice or Jalen Brown. And that's just, you're not going to beat Jalen Brown, Kemba, and Jason Tatum 
by running like uh, some switches and some pick and rolls down low with Pascal Siakam. It's just not going to happen. I just don't know what they can do besides those things. Like, I think they should actually post up Gasol more. I think that might be their best matchup in the series. But um, they just really don't have, like, a primary offensive threat that they can just say, hey, go get us a bucket in this half-court offense. They, and they've they kind of done to. themselves in. Like, they've been getting in foul trouble, like, in game one. Spicy P had three fouls in the first quarter. Uh, Marcus Saul had, like, a real quick four and five in the last game. And so, like, Tosh, you were talking about the Celtics depth issues, but it's looking like the Raptors are having some issues off the bench. Um, and, yeah, I think, like, Kyle Lowry and, and actually, Van has been all right, but Kyle Lowry definitely needs to be doing more for that team. Um, if he's going to lead them to the conference finals. Yeah, they got to find a way to get some offense out of those two guards because it doesn't look like it's going to come from Siakam or uh, Gasol um, or really Ananobi had a good had a good uh, game too. But, I mean, those are mo- mostly just corner three. Yeah, I'm not even saying Siakam's um, bad. It's just like we match up really well against him specifically. And, like, his game is just not going to beat the way the Celtics roster is built. Also, the Gordon Hayward injury, I said before that, I mean, I think having him in the series makes us uh, like a surefire bet to beat the Raptors because it gives us like that added guy um, and a little bit more depth. But I was talking to one of you two and like not having him, having Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, I think has actually been huge. And when he's on and hitting threes, like we're not going to lose the game. Um, when he struggles, like you can see the team kind of struggles. And so I used to be afraid of him taking a bunch of threes. Um, and this year he took a huge leap in his shooting percentage. And like, he's one of my favorite players. And I have found myself, uh, almost never frustrated with his playmaking now, whereas his first three years in the league was really tough to watch. Um, so yeah, he's the heart and soul of this team. And I think that without Gordon Hayward too, like everybody is getting their shots and not having to defer as much. And then Furthermore, when Hayward does come back, I think that they should keep their starting five and have Hayward run the twos so he can get as many shots as he wants and be like the stud to lead the second unit rather than having Marcus Smart come off the bench. I totally agree with that. I think Hayward's better off the bench right now, almost in like an Andre Iguodala role. Um, I think that would be pretty good for him. Um, but let's get to some previews of the Western Conference. Uh, we've got Lakers, Rockets. Um, and in Clippers, Denver, start out with Lakers Rockets. Uh, the biggest question I have is like, will small ball that the uh, Rockets are playing, will that be able to hold up against the uh, bigs of the Lakers? Small ball, I think there are, just like the Rockets in general, when they're hot, I don't think you're going to be able to play Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. They're just going to be getting threes rained down upon them. Um, but if they're not making shots, I don't see how that's really going to work. If they're missing shots and Dwight Howard or JaVale are just eating up rebounds, that's going to be a huge problem for the Rockets. But overall, I think that small ball is not going to be very effective because small ball, it's great having faster guys, being able to chase around everyone and be everywhere, but that doesn't really work when everyone on the other team is just as fast but bigger. Um, and LeBron, Anthony Davis, they're not going to be getting guarded by, I mean, PJ Tucker is going to do an all right job and Robert Covington is going to do an all right job and they're going to play. I mean, hard, no, obviously. no, they're not going to be able to stop AD though. Like they just don't have the yeah. size. I think Rocco is their biggest guy. Um, and I just don't see him being able to stop Anthony Davis at all. Like he's overwhelming. I mean, he to your point, to. 
Right. I mean, to your point, I've said that the Rockets go as James Harden's shooting goes. And, like, somehow, like, they won game seven without him, you know, not shooting well and trying to lose that game. But, I mean, this series, I don't see LeBron and Anthony Davis just not getting the job done to advance to the conference finals. Now, whether that takes, like, five or six games, like, that's to be determined. I think the Rockets are definitely not going to get swept. I think Harden, like, drops 40 once or twice in this series. Um, Or the Rockets just get hot in general and, like, are hitting everything from three. Then they're tough to beat. But, yeah, like you were saying, like, the Lakers have the size to stay with the shooters of the Rockets, Um, especially if you're going down the stretch and you put LeBron James on James Harden. If he's willing to put in that, like, defensive effort that LeBron usually is able or is willing to put in in the playoffs, then I just don't think it's that much of a series necessarily. I think it'll be fun because I think it's going to be really fast-flowing and, like, it's going to be a ton of offense. Um, and pretty high scoring relative to the other series, but I just don't see anyone being able to cover Anthony Davis or being able to stop the facilitating and playmaking of LeBron James. Yeah, I see small ball actually working, but uh, what I don't see working is James Harden and, and uh, Westbrook being efficient enough offensively to uh, beat the Lakers. Because I, I do think that, um, you know, House and and Covington and Gordon and Tucker are all pretty solid defensively. Jeff Green can hold his own. Like, I don't think the the Lakers are gonna really put up like over a hundred ten points most most games. Um, I just don't think the Rockets are gonna be able to score um, with with Davis in the paint. Like Westbrook and and Harden are gonna be shooting too much. Um, so I think Smollo will work. I don't really like Harden or Westbrook in this series, and that's why. Um, I originally predicted Rockets or Lakers in seven. I thought it would be a kind of a back and forth series, but now I'm thinking more like Lakers in five, um, just because Westbrook and Harden aren't playing well. Yeah, I kind of like Rockets in six there. Um, but moving from like the small ball team to maybe like the biggest team in the playoff, the uh, Denver Nuggets are taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, you know, what key matchups are you guys looking for in this series to determine the outcome? Avita Zubac guard Jokic. And can any one of the wings guard Kawhi or Paul George for the Nuggets? There's, there's a bad matchup in both directions. I don't think the Clippers can really guard Jokic for a whole game, and I don't think they really want to play Zubats that many minutes. Um, and I don't think there's anybody on the Nuggets team. It's definitely not Michael Porter Jr. guarding anyone. Um, so I don't really... I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring series. What if you put Montrezl Harrell on um, Jokic? What do you think about that? I mean, if he posts up, I, I, I think that's a horrible matchup. He's just going to shoot fadeaways or little hooks over him the whole time. I don't, I don't think that would be very effective. I think I see. Yeah, I see Zubots playing a lot of minutes in this series and Harold not playing as much. I think Zubots will be able to to uh, hold his own against Jokic. But like you said, uh, Jackson, I don't really think the Nuggets have the bodies to stop Kawhi and George. Um, we'll see if Gary Harris is looking healthy, um, but he—I mean—he's kind of their one shot, and and I don't really see it. So I think this one might be over kind of quickly. I've got Clippers in five before, and I, and I still think Clippers in five. Yeah. So as you know, I'm super high on the Clippers. The only thing is, like sometimes they're kind of nonchalant in games, and like even before Kawhi got there, uh, they like last uh, or last. Uh, playoff run like they went six in a series when they didn't really need to and so like i i see this one going five or six but like yeah i like like 
I've said before, I think the Clippers are the best team in this, in this bubble and this restart. And so I don't see them having too much of an issue um, with the nuggets. And then like also the nuggets, like Jamal Murray was just so gassed after game seven. And like uh, Jokic, we know has had some, uh, you know, kind of in shape issues and he's looked good. Like he's definitely uh, looks conditioned uh, in this restart. But I think they're going to be really tired coming out game one, and they're going to be in a a bit of a hole, and that's going to be tough to overcome against what I think is the best team. Yeah, the Clippers are, are, uh, I think, the team to beat in the West and and probably in the the, uh, NBA. They've just got to get the chemistry together and and, uh, start playing a little bit uh, better. But, uh, Jackson, any other thoughts on uh, this series or anything NBA before we transition to? NHL. Yes, I think the Clippers got a great draw. Um, I don't like Gary Harris. I, I mean, I don't think Gary Harris can guard Kawhi because if Kawhi posts him up, it's over. That's an automatic two every time. But yeah, I, but also nobody can guard Kawhi, so that's just like yeah, obviously no, of course, Gary of course. Um, but I also think this gives an opportunity for Paul George to kind of get going because if he gets the match with Michael Porter Jr., this might give him the chance to like get his legs going and get into a rhythm instead of being pandemic P like we saw at the start of the last series. I couldn't agree more with that. Paul George has got to get going in this series, because if he's still cold going into that Lakers series, um, that's going to be a huge factor for the uh, the Clippers. And, I mean, we'll see who's on him. But, uh, yeah, if, if Porter's on him, that's going to be barbecue chicken, as they like to say, for... Uh, <laughs> For Paul George. <laughs> Moving on to NFL. Um, NFL season starting on next Thursday. Um, and so that's coming up pretty soon. We've got opening night is Mahomes uh, versus Watson. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, and, and we've got our fantasy league. Don't forget about that. Two spots left. Um, and so we want you guys to, we wanted to open it up to you guys, see who wants to be in our league and compete against us. And we're actually going to stream our draft live. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, get our takes on all the picks. Um, and so that should be coming out early next week. And then be on the lookout for an NFL preview pod with all of our thoughts on the NFL um, coming soon um, next week as well. So a lot of NFL news, Jerry. Um couldn't be more excited for this NFL season. We're both big NFL guys. Yeah, man. So before we get out of here, uh, Cam Newton officially named the Pats starter. So expecting big things out of him. I saw he, Belichick was singing his praises, which he doesn't often do. So I think that's more of a shot at Brady that he would never admit to. But anyways, yeah, football season's going to be great. Hope it doesn't get canceled because of COVID and they can find a way to keep everybody healthy. Um, looking forward to recording that. Uh, fantasy football league for two tv sports with you to put out next week uh thanks jackson for coming on talking about the nba uh i hate you know the lakers as a celtics fan and but also i'm not really excited about the rockets necessarily so that series i'm gonna have to uh find a way to root for some team there and find some interest um but uh hopefully that'll be a good one thanks for having me on thanks for coming on jackson i appreciate the basketball insight as always And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy that pod. We'll be back next week for NFL coverage. Um, Don't forget to contact us for the last two spots in the Fantasy uh, Football League for 2TV Sports. Uh, Check out our Instagram, at 2TV Sports, and Twitter, at 2TV Sports, to stay updated. Read our articles on 2TVSports.com. And for now, 2TV Sports is signing off the mic.